It's U of L today on 93.9 The Ville. Here's your host, Mark Hebert. Welcome to U of L today, the show about all things U of L. This gives you the U of L fan a chance to brag about something other than athletics that's going on at the University of Louisville. And the rest of you who aren't U of L fans, you might learn something today. So. We're going to talk about the great teachers, research students, what's going on on campus. I'm Mark Hebert, as you heard in the intro. Today, you'll meet an amazing young lady, an inspiration. Her mother is an exotic dancer. Her dad spent all of her teenage years in prison, but this recent U L graduate realized education was the key to a different life. Now she's a Fulbright scholar with four degrees and a 3.96 GPA from L. You will meet LaShawn Ford here in a few minutes. Also, you hear plenty about the UofL football players and the UofL football team, but what are the factors other than football that get them to come to UofL? We'll talk to assistant coach and recruiter Terrell Buckley. But first, the University of Louisville has gained a worldwide reputation for research and rehabilitation on adults and children with paralyzing spinal cord injuries. And you may have seen those amazing stories on ABC News and some other national news outlets about that. Today, one of the top researchers in the country on spinal cord injuries is with us, and she works at UofL. She runs what's called the Pediatric Neuro Recovery Program, Dr. Andrea Behrman. Dr. Behrman, welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. All right. What, well, let's start with the, the simple stuff. What do you do? Personally. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do at UofL? And with, uh... So I run a clinical program uh, that provides physical therapy, rehabilitation services to children that have had spinal cord injury. It can be from a number of things, from um, diseases or like transverse myelitis or infections. It can be from trauma. Uh, it could be a spinal tumor. So these are kids that are not expected to ever get better. And uh, we provide a physical therapy service. At the same time, we also conduct research. So we're trying to find the best avenues, best therapies to make a difference in these kids' lives. But the thing that's special here about the University of Louisville is that we fast-track that evidence into practice. Which means what? So fast-tracking means that as we are embedded in Fraser Rehab Institute, the, our program, part of uh, the Department of Neurosurgery and the Kentucky Spinal Cord Injury Research Center. So our research is embedded right in the rehab facility. So we see patients every day, and at the same time, we're conducting research, all right? We're doing experiments, studies, et cetera, and when we find answers, then we just walk across the hallway. At the same time, we're publishing and informing other professionals and the professional community, but we're putting that evidence right into practice. So that means we have a new therapy, new direction, something to offer that child or family right away. So just to be clear, these are kids that have severe spinal cord injuries. They've got a severed spine. Is that, am I, okay, am so, I right on that or not? Well, uh, it's interesting when you think about spinal cord injury, um, everybody has this image of when someone says, oh, they had a complete injury. So they broke, uh, they, broken spinal cord or they, that? But, yeah. So that something's happened to the spinal cord itself. That's the, that's the skeleton, if you will. Right. But inside is this spinal cord. It's much like a banana. So if you, the, the texture of it, and you can think of a banana that's had a bruise and a spinal cord injury is often like a bruise. But for some reason, the information or the signals, that's a big highway there, the spinal cord, is, is interrupted. Now, we kind of have that idea that it was cut or severed or something like that. But it can be just um, like a traffic jam, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that traffic jam is still there. So sometimes things are still connected, but there's a jam. Um, 
So the thing that what you said about severely disabled kids, let me describe them. You know, many of them are paralyzed from the level of the injury down. So you can think of it that they can't move their legs. Some of them have difficulty even sitting up. Their trunk muscles don't work. The muscles that help you sit up are the same muscles that help you breathe. So they have problems breathing as well. Some of them have difficulty using their hands or their arms. Depends upon the level of injury. So the long-term expectation for these kids is, is not a good one. Mm -hmm. It's really demise. It's over time that they're sitting in a wheelchair, um, that they're going to have um, developed something called scoliosis, which is a curvature of your spine. They develop that because their trunk muscles aren't working. Right. All right. For many of them injured before age five, they also develop something called a hip dislocation. So as you, as you develop and grow, what naturally happens is your hip socket forms um, because of the stress on your muscles. It doesn't actually, you're not born with a very good hip socket. So all these things relative to growth and development are also impacted on them. And so I've seen the video and it's, it truly is amazing what uh, you do with these kids. You, you can describe it better than I can, but you basically, to rehab them, you put them in a harness. Right. And have them go on a, like a, a treadmill. Right. To learn how to, how to move their feet, essentially, right? Well, it's, to, it's interesting. What we've um, found out is the spinal cord, it turns out to be smart. It's so, a brain? Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly what you said. And you know how the brain, like every day we're receiving information, processing, making sense of it, and then then telling us what to do. The, spinal, the only thing the spinal cord miss, is missing is probably that will, the intent. That comes from the brain. But everything else is probably the same in the spinal cord. In other words, it can receive information and generate a motor output. Motor output for us is trunk control or moving your legs or breathing, that type. So it turns out that if you give it, and I'm going to say sensory information, what is that? That's like um, the contact on the bottom of your foot or the position of your joint. So you know what walking looks like, right? Mm -hmm. So if I put you on a treadmill and start to help you move like that, your spinal cord is going, oh, you're talking about walking. You're talking about standing up. And then it sends out signals comparable to that. That's what we're trying to do is turn on a system that's been turned off by the injury. So how many children do you have and you're doing basically trials? Is that a fair assessment? We, is that the way to call it? Or? Do both. We do both. So trials would be part of research or experiments. Okay. So at the same time, so we have right now eight or nine children mm -hmm. uh, per day um, that are receiving the clinical therapy services. Some of those children may be involved in some of our experiments or studies to better understand how things are working and better inform us. Mm -hmm. And some children may come here simply to be in a study. And so I, I guess the, the nuts and bolts question here for their parents, when they bring them to UofL, they, they realize we've got this great program. Um, when they come to UofL, do they say, hey, is my, my kid ever going to walk again? Is that, is that what they come yeah, to you? So, and, and, and what's the answer? So that's every parent's dream, right? I mean, many of them change their hope and dream over time. So for example, one mother, I, I said, oh, your child um, developed like the ability to sit. And I said, well, that's a secondary outcome, if you will. And she goes, I don't know why you call that secondary. It is so important to her. Mm -hmm. So see how it changes. 
So the expectations, the expectations, every single one of them came here going, is there any hope? And I think that's the big thing. There is hope. We can't predict yet. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. Nobody in the world has a crystal ball. But it, but what we do know is if you came at one level that we can progress you a step further. And so if you look like this and you couldn't hold your head up, we think your head, you'll be able to develop that head control. Can you walk? We're not there yet as far as being able to predict and say that with accuracy. All right. We're talking to Dr. Andrea Behrman from the Pediatric Neuro Recovery Program at the University of Louisville. This is just the pediatric program is one bit part of a larger program. Talk a little bit about the larger program at UofL. So at UofL, you have the Kentucky Spinal Cord Injury Research Center. And again, one of the, the reasons I came to UofL was this center, and, and it has the breadth and depth of research that starts with experimental models and understanding spinal cord injury really at a cellular type level. So these are the people that really start to understand how the nervous system works or how it recovers, what happens with damage, et cetera. That's in, often that's also done in animal models or experiments. Um, then we have uh, Scott Whittemore and Dr. Susan Harkema run the Kentucky Spinal Cord Injury Research Center. When Dr. Harkema came here, it was to develop what we call translational research. That means it's the human condition. So people with spinal cord injury participate in studies. And so part of that work, again, is to provide the evidence upon which we're going to make clinical decisions. But you can imagine, you typically go from animal models to adults to children, all right? That's kind of the sequence of events as far as research. It's, it's an amazing facility to have this, again, depth and breadth of research here. And UofL is really getting known for this. It's getting worldwide recognition, correct? There's a lot of worldwide uh, recognition, yes, with some of the work that's being done, and in, in probably the most recently is the um, epidural stimulation studies led by uh, Dr. Harkema, Dr. Angeli, and, and others here at the university. Okay. And you're doing, uh, I'm going back to the, sure. the work that you do, there is some sort of stimulation device or something that you implant or something in the kids, right? Or what, what, so what that's, is that thing? Okay, so that's in the adults okay. only. Okay. And, um, and that's being implanted on the, the spinal cord. But it's in the same, I think the key thing to understand here is we're, we're talking about a family of therapies. They're all built on the same principles. So you can think of some of them, um, in this instance, require surgery at this point. And, and think of when we first built the first computer, how, how ridiculous it was. It filled a whole room. So whenever you start something, it starts big, but we refine and tune over time. But the same principles that are used for the stimulator are the same principles we're using for this therapy that we call locomotor training or an activity-based therapy, one that turns on the system. We're trying to turn on the nervous system and get it to use, instead of having a traffic jam, get it to use some circuits or make a detour, make a new circuit, or wake up a circuit that's been sitting there waiting. Figure out a different way to make the motor run. for like Right, right. But it's using the same really biological principles that help you understand how, how the system works. And then we're tapping into those. Okay. Before I let you go, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, who are some of the folks that are helping fund the, this important oh. research and these programs? Yeah. Thanks very much. So Cozair Charities here in uh, Louisville and uh, Kentucky, Southern Indiana has been huge. Um, helped us with a $7.3 million grant initially. Helmsley Charitable Trust. Um, Crusade for Children, the Todd Crawford Foundation locally here, um, the Craig H. Nielsen Foundation, uh, NIH, 
um, have been all instrumental in, in uh, providing support for this. And if some parent is listening to this or someone that knows a child that has uh, an injury like this, how do they apply for or get into this program? What would be expected of them if, if they are accepted? So they can go online to victoryoverparalysis.org and sign up there, find out our contact information, and uh, let us get in touch with them. And all the information there is there about being eligible. Um, We have many families that are local, but we have a lot of families really from around the world right now that are here. They stay at the Ronald McDonald House, another entity that makes it very successful for families to come and be with us. There's a minimum of 60 sessions. That's three months you need to be here. They're going to be here in Louisville for a while. That's it. It's a wonderful place for families. They, many of them feel like this is a second home for them. Dr. Andrea Behrman, you do awesome work for the University of Louisville, for the community, and for the world for a lot of these kids. So thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Appreciate thanks it. All right, it. when we come back, an incredible story of perseverance and a will to change your life through education. That's up next, UofL Today on 93.9 The Bill. There's something special in the air at the University of Louisville. Investment and constant progress are helping today's students and faculty unleash their potential, discover new answers, open more doors, give back to others, see new worlds, and become champions in everything they do. Now, more than ever, it's a great time to be a Louisville Cardinal. We're back, UofL Today with Mark Hebert on 93.9 The Bill. As I talked a little bit at the top of the show, we talked about a, a very inspirational young lady who uh, I've come to know a little bit at the University of Louisville since she's been there, since I've been there. Told you at the top of the program that her mother is an exotic dancer. Her father was in prison for an extended period of time, most of her teen years. But that didn't stop LaShawn Ford from doing something spectacular. You had a great uh, high school career. You realized that education was the key to everything. And now you have graduated from the University of Louisville. And you have what from U of L? <laughs> I have four degrees. And I did it in four years. So my degrees are in just administration, sociology, psychology, and philosophy. And your grade point average was? A 396. And you won a what? A Fulbright scholarship to the United Kingdom. Which is what? What's a Fulbright scholarship? It's an international exchange program where students can go out of the country and to be like, well, the one I won, the US-UK, is to be like ambassadors for the United States. All right. So we're talking with LaShawn Ford. I guess I should formally welcome you to the UofL today. So thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. Let's talk a little bit about your background. I kind of set folks up with that uh, uh, talk about your parents. Um, give us a little bit about where you grew up and your your background and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Well, where I grew up, that's a little difficult because I did you a lot. You grew up of, a little everywhere. Yeah, yeah a, l- a lot of moving around, mostly in Kentucky though. Um, I was born in Chicago, Illinois, um, but my mom. When I was younger, we moved to Kentucky, so I lived in Covington, Kentucky, Hebron, Arlanger, Northern Kentucky. Yeah, Northern Kentucky and Cincinnati, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, my dad, I always visit him. He was on the run for 10 years, so but we will always visit one another. Um, we'll just go from place to place, uh, move around. But, I mean, it was it was difficult, but I enjoy seeing him. We still had our connection. Okay, so what happened in northern Kentucky then? You are, you're, you're in high school up there, mm-hmm. and as I recall, I think you told me, you know, you 
you had a, a number of brothers and sisters and you had a, uh, mm-hmm. not a rough childhood, but a, sort of a different childhood that didn't really value education to a certain point, correct? Or, or Right. I mean, I'm a first generation college student. So, I mean, my mom and my dad, both my dad didn't even go to high school. Um, he got his GED while he was in prison. And my mom, she dropped out. Well, she went to high school and she finished high school, but she never went to college. So, I mean, growing up, I just, and I mean, when I was younger, I watched my family go through domestic violence. And I mean, there was just a lot of things that I feel like had influence on me and the way that I reacted while I was in high school. So I ended up being a bully and um, I took remedial classes while I was in middle school. So I struggled academically, but I feel like um, my past when I was young, like, my my parents had a lot to do with you know the my growing up. I mean, which makes sense. But. Well, when you say that your parents had a lot to do with it, um, I mean, were they saying, "Yeah, you need to get an education, Lashawn," or were they saying, "Don't even bother"? Um, well, they didn't really know. They didn't say I need to get an education. They, but I mean, from where they came from, they didn't really know. I mean, my mom, she. She's a single. She was a single mother when my dad went away. She was but, an exotic dancer. Right, right. She was an exotic dancer. So, I mean, education wasn't something that was like something that she did. But, I mean, when I started to get more involved in school, it's like she didn't. I, I don't think is. I don't know if she didn't want me to, but she just wanted me to be around the house and like watch my little sister more. So she used to be upset when I started getting more involved in school. So I guess she didn't really know that. I mean, what I was trying to do is trying to better myself. But I mean, she she just really didn't understand. Now she understands it better. But back then it was kind of more like she just didn't want me to do those things. But now she can kind of get a better understanding. So when did you turn the corner? You were taking remedial classes in middle school. You were a bully. Mm-hmm. weren't much fun to be around. Doesn't sound like no. so. So when did you turn the corner? Um. So so it was my sophomore year of high school. I went through a lot that year. So I I was like a year round athlete and that was something too. It was just like that outlet that I had to get away from my family life. Cause me and my mom we were, we bumped head all the time. We argued, fought, we just didn't get along. Um, so like doing sports was something just to keep me away. And I tore my ACL that year, my sophomore year. I tore my ACL so that that no sports for the year because I I did really I did it three times. Um, cause my mom wouldn't take me to the doctor. She said, well, I mean, just stop doing sports. You'll be fine. And then I just kept tearing it. And basically it was really bad where I was on crutches for two months and I was off for the whole entire year. That same year, my best friend uh, died from suicide. So, I mean, it was just, I mean, that happened close to the end of the year. So other things had already happened before that. So, I mean, it just took this big toll on my life and I just, I didn't know what to do with myself and I mean how to just seeing like where my family is and what was happening in my life like I just did not see a future and end so I just I didn't want to be a part of that anymore which I mean that's I just wanted to commit suicide at the time but I mean I mean it was a lot of people who what really like turned it around is like I was with a lot of people who like express the hardship that the suicide my friend's suicide, like, head on them. And I just, I mean, I did not want to be that burden anymore. But I just decided that, I mean, either you're going to keep going down this road or you're going to turn your life around. So, I, I mean, I just made that turn. And that next year, I literally became class president. Um, I got involved in the Honor Society. Um, I became a straight-A student. 
and just like, like that just yeah. flip the switch on just like that no yeah. problem i mean it was like it was definitely a lot of hard work it wasn't like no problem <laughs> not at all like, so that's your junior year in high school right okay yeah no yeah no and so problem. you had a heck of a junior year from the terrible sophomore year when mm-hmm. you were thinking about committing suicide to your junior year in high school that's when it all turned around right okay. mm-hmm. so then you have a great junior year and senior year yeah right? great yeah mm-hmm. okay your, your father went to prison in here somewhere though right Oh, he went to prison my sixth grade year. Okay, so he's yeah. been in prison some time. Oh, yeah, he was in prison. Yeah, he went to prison my sixth grade year, and okay. um, he was still, he didn't get out until my sophomore year of college. Okay, so then you wind up at U of L. How did you get to the University of Louisville? Well, I wasn't, even with all that stuff that was happening, I still wasn't, like, my junior year, I wasn't thinking about college. Like, I, all that stuff, I was trying to turn my life around, but, I mean, you only can do so much in a year, right. and I did enough. I wasn't thinking about college then. But my senior year, um... I had a friend and he was taking, she was taking her son and a couple other friends to like just college tours. And one place she was going is L. And she asked me if I wanted to go. And I was just like, well, a break. Yeah, I go just like have fun mm-hmm. and go to, co- and we went and we um had, they gave us a campus tour and they talked about the Cardinal Covenant scholarship and it's like a poverty scholarship. So I was like, I, I think I would qualify for that. And you only need a 20 ACT, which is all I had. I wasn't like a, I mean, like I said, super genius, right. Huh? I wasn't like, I told you I turned my life around, but like I couldn't, I wasn't like getting thirties on my AC doing now. I wasn't that great. But, um, so she took us on a college visit and I'd lo- I love U of L. So this is the only place I applied to. And I mean, Got but it. that only went to one other college, like for a visit. I mean, I wasn't like that. You know, I wasn't. So you got it. So you got a Cardinal Covenant scholarship, mm-hmm. which uh, covers the cost, the full, full, it's basically a full ride right. for students from families that are under 150% of the federal poverty line. So right. that got you your education mm-hmm. paid. So you've been at U of L for four years. You just graduated. So now you're, you somehow got to be a Fulbright scholar with four degrees and you're, you're people have got to be saying, LaShawn Ford, how in the world did you pull that off? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it was mostly like the support I had here when I came to U of L. I mean, they, they have great, like the professors and the staff just, kind of gave me opportunities where I was able to network and meet certain people and gave me like these opportunities where I was doing internships and volunteer work in the community. And then like that, that's stuff that looked, uh, the Fulbright people look highly upon. And far as the scholarship, I mean, I took a lot of some 18 hours in summer. Um, and the reason I, I just didn't want to go home either. I mean, when you're living on campus, you have to go home or, you know, you take class and you can stay on campus. And like I said, me and my mom didn't get along. A whole summer, it was like, eh, I can't, I can still barely do a week. But I mean, so, yeah, so I just stayed here and I worked hard. And then it came like two and a half years and I, or like two years, I realized I can graduate with that just administration degree. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? So I might as well just stay two years. And, you know, I got sociology and psychology. I mean, there's other reasons why I added those specific majors, but I mean. With, as you said, a 3.96 GPA. Right. So what's a Fulbright scholarship? What are you going to be? You, you apply for Fulbright. It's very competitive. There are mm-hmm. very few uh, students across the United States or graduates across the United States that get these, and you're one of nine from the University of Louisville with a mm-hmm. Fulbright. What is yours, and what are you going to be doing? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'll be going to I'll be going to England and specifically Canterbury. I'll be going to the University of Kent, and I'll get my master's degree in criminology. Um, basically, what I want to do is um, in the United States we have a high juvenile delinquency and incarceration. So I was a juvenile delinquent. So that was one reason why I'm um, like passionate about juvenile delinquency. But 
So what I'll be doing is just going and kind of studying the policies and the programs that they have in England and kind of seeing like how we in the United States can have better, have a better system. Cause like I said, we have the highest and I chose England because the cultural similarities, because they don't have the best um, like policies and programs. They don't have the lowest juvenile delinquency incarceration, but it's better than us. And our culture is very similar. So you want to take your background and basically turn it into something positive in, yeah. your, in your future. Definitely. You're looking forward to going to England? Oh, yeah. Nervous, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, going to another country for our entire year. Yeah. So what would you tell folks, kind of to wrap this up, what would you tell folks about, uh, that may be listening or parents or kids that may be listening that say, man, there's no way I'm going to college. Um, I got a hor- terrible home life. My parents are poor. I just can't do it. What would you tell them? Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, that's what I've been through. So, I mean, I, sh- I want to be an example showing them that they can you know, go to college and make something better with their life, not just give up. So, I mean, definitely tell them not to give up, but to try to reach out to other people who maybe are in a position that they want to be in one day. So, I mean, my parents weren't the, like the model parents where I wanted to go. I can't talk to them about certain things, but I mean, somehow like I turned my life around and I wasn't really reaching for anyone, but once I got here, that that's when I really excelled. But that's because I had, like I said before, that support system and just the faculty and just different people I talk to networking. So start networking now if it's like a basic conversation with people um, who, I mean, they don't, you don't, even if you don't know what you want to do, but just, I mean, just kind of get a general idea. I mean, a lot of people have some, I mean, great wisdom, older, you know, people. Um, like me is that what you're getting at yeah you know, we talk wisdom. we talked all the time and you helped me out and you yeah so definitely well, I'm glad I helped you out yeah the inspiration that people can get from students like you is unbelievable so congratulations and uh, good luck over in england thank you i'm glad to hear that all right Lashawn Lashawn ford from the university of louisville just graduated just graduated she's headed to england on a fulbright scholarship so good luck thanks all right when we come back Assistant football coach Terrell Buckley talks about why recruits come to the University of Louisville for stuff other than football. When we come back on UofL Today on 93.9 The Bill. There's something special in the air at the University of Louisville. Investment and constant progress are helping today's students and faculty unleash their potential, discover new answers, open more doors, give back to others, see new worlds, and become champions in everything they do. Now, more than ever, it's a great time to be a Louisville Cardinal. All right, we're here now with Terrell Buckley, who is an NFL cornerback, played for what, Florida State, I guess, as I recall, correct? Yes, I spent a couple years at Florida State. That's yeah. my alma mater, that's yes. A, that's a rumor, that's a rumor, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, we want to talk to you a little bit about what you tell recruits, what do you tell these freshmen as they're coming in about things at UofL that are not related to football? What do you tell them about the academics? What do you tell their parents about academics? How do you recruit them? Well, after we look at their transcripts, we look at and see what, what they want to major in, what do they want to do, uh, after football is over. And from that standpoint, I get into what we do graduation-wise. You know, how we, the schedule that we have, uh, using summer school as that springboard of getting you in in three and a half years and getting your degree. So you're going to come here, and it's not all about football. You're going to leave with your degree in your pocket so you can go out and, and contribute, pay your taxes, do the things that all of us do. 
when you're not playing ball. So you're the cornerbacks coach of the football team. So do yes. you deal just with those particular student athletes, or do you have discussions with the, the moms and the dads and the athletes from the entire team while you're out recruiting? Everybody. You know, we have an area. So I end up, I mean, I had a couple of linemen last year, uh, linebackers, receivers. I mean, it doesn't matter. Whatever our area consists of, we deal with all the guys. So what do they say when you're in the living room? Uh, what do those athletes say, and what questions do they ask about U of L? And then, you know, what, what do you tell them? Well, they ask, where is it at? Uh, <laughs> how's the weather? Uh, do we get four seasons? Uh, you know, all the questions that uh, if they went online, they can you could see some of that. But filling in those gaps uh, about how many uh, academic people we have in the support system. Uh, what is Coach Petrino like mm -hmm. off the field? Mm -hmm. You know, basic general questions that you might not be able to see while watching the game. Is the academic support something you sell? Yes, uh, the numbers. I mean, you look at our numbers the last couple of years. Well, guys are graduating at a high volume in three and a half years. And uh, APR, I mean, look, it's pretty high. Uh, and one the of the highest. APR is academic progress. What's it stand for? Report. Report, okay. And it's, uh, I want to say we're in the top 10 of we're in there with Stanford and all those other schools. So we're getting uh, not just the football aspect done, but also in the classrooms. And once they get here on campus and you've got kids that are going freshman to senior year, mm -hmm. off the field stuff, do they understand when they come here or when they come to any big time program that they're going to be in a little bit of a fishbowl, that folks know who they are, and if they get in a little bit of trouble with the law, that they're, you know, that they're, they got a target on their back a little bit? I, I think you, they hear that. Uh, I think high school coaches are doing a, a very good job uh, of explaining that, and we jump on that too. We use it until something happens, hopefully somewhere else. Uh, I don't think it sinks in the way it's supposed to until a couple weeks. You mm -hmm. start. We we pound that into them pretty good. So you really do. You talk to them about off the field, their behavior in the classroom with those students, et cetera. Well, we talk about that. They say you're a student athlete, but as soon as something happens, you're an athlete. <laughs> You know, when a regular student is going, something happened to their students. So uh, we try to categorize it and, and put it in real terms that you are different. You do, you earn everything you get, but for some reason, it's when something doesn't go the way that it should, and all of a sudden you're categorized in a different, you're put in a different category. And what does the University of Louisville offer these days as a coach you're seeing that perhaps Florida State or any other school didn't offer 20 or 30 years ago? What's, what's the difference today than it was when you were in school? The academic support, I think, is taken very, very seriously now uh, with the support people, the, the, the tutors we have, the emphasis putting on that. Uh, if you're not getting your, your work done in the spring, you go into class. You're not coming to practice until you handle your in class, your, your, your schooling, football is secondary. Very good. Terrell Buckley, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. So thanks to Terrell Buckley, LaShawn Ford, and Dr. Andrea Behrman, who you've heard on this version of L Today. We wrap up these shows with a little tidbit, perhaps a little bit of information that you can take and tell your friends, and they'll think you're really smart. So I'm going to leave you with this fast fact about L. In 2002, there were about 2,300 students living on the UofL campus. Now, there are more than 5,000 living on campus or in affiliated housing next to campus. So it's no longer a suitcase school. 
It is a residential campus. So for more info about the University of Louisville, go to louisville.edu. This has been L Today with Mark Hebert on 93.9 The Ville.